Good day, all. Welcome to a new episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now, I want you to remember to pray and ask God for understanding. Put your learning hats on, get your Bibles, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Welcome, everyone. I want to give a special thank you to the new listeners. I receive new listeners every week. And you all know my consistent and loyal listeners. I appreciate you so much. Now, we are embarking on a episode three of a nine-part series entitled The Pure, Uncut Truth about the gospel of Jesus the Christ. Now, episode three is entitled The Sign of Jonah. Jesus mentioned the sign of Jonah to some Pharisees and Sadducees who was questioning him about giving a sign as to who he was. And Jesus referred to them as a wicked and adulterous generation seeking after a sign. And there shall be no sign given unto them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So we are going to talk about this today and I'm going to use two scriptures as our foundational scriptures the scripture in Matthew when Jesus made that statement and we we are going to go to the Old Testament in the book of Jonah and read the scriptures that Jesus was talking about so as our foundational scripture um I want you guys to go to Matthews and and for the new listeners I typically teach from the New King James version but throughout this entire series I am teaching from the traditional King James Version and for the sake of time when I give you a scripture you can pause the tape and once you find the scripture you can resume but I will commence to reading and because this series being a nine part series or nine episode series I studied a lot of scriptures so it's it's virtually impossible for me to read every last scripture that I studied. So I will be reading a lot of scripture to you and sharing some scriptures with you for you to write down so that you can study as well. So with that said, let's go to our first scripture. It is found in Matthew chapter 16 and verse four. And I am reading a wicked and adulterous generation seek it after a sign. And there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And now I am going to go to Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. The scripture that Jesus was referring to in the Old Testament. And I am reading. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, Jesus said that this event was the only sign the world would receive that he was, is, and evermore shall be whom he claimed to be and that he came to do what he said he would. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 41. I will be reading. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, 
saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seek it after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Now, the men of Nineveh, uh, Nineveh is an ancient city located on the east bank of Tigris, and that's opposite the, the modern city of Mosul, okay? It was the oldest city of the ancient Arasirian Empire and its capital until, and, and I want to share this with you so you can get a full understanding of, of what I'm talking about and who Jesus was talking to. It was um, an, an ancient Assyrian Empire and its capital until it was destroyed by a coalition of Babylonians in Medes in, in 612 BC. Okay. Now, quite often pastors, teachers, theologians, and, and Bible theorists will try to justify this event with the church's equivalent of an urban legend. Okay. Now we're missing the point when trying to rationalize the story of Jonah through natural explanations. And I often tell people you cannot and you will never understand the Bible by trying to understand it with your carnal or natural mind. You have to be spiritually connected with God through Christ. You have to be born again to understand the Bible. When I read the Bible, it's as if it's a, a first grade book. Because I am connected to God spiritually, so I understand it. I get it. I have been given the uh, ability to teach the word of God. And let me tell you, I am not by any means patting myself on the back, but the teaching that God has gifted me with is far few and in between today. People are saying anything today and, and teaching, and I'm talking about pure unadulterated teaching is missing in the body of Christ today. If you ask the average Christian, how do you become a Christian? They can't tell you. They can't tell you. So my entire ministry that God has anointed me to lead is about the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation. Now, before I get off track of my notes, let me get back on track. Now, the Jonas episode in the fish in the fish's belly was a supernatural event because it was a prophetic foreshadow of another supernatural event. The main event, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what the uh, uh, prophet Jonah, the event that he was involved in when that, that, that fish swallowed him up, that represented the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is why he referred to the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament when he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the sign of Jonas was the empty tomb and the resurrection itself. 
because it was consistent with what the Lord had spoken to religious objectors at the beginning of his ministry when he turned over the money changers recorded in John chapter 2 verses 16 through 22. And I am reading and said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house had eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, what sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was this temple in building and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them and they believed the scripture. And the word which Jesus had said. Now nowhere in scripture does it specify that Friday was the day the Lord was crucified. Now these conjectures come from a misunderstanding of the Jewish Sabbaths and Hebrew scriptures. The fact of the matter is that Jesus could not have been crucified on any other day than Wednesday. Now, I've made this statement based upon scripture. And if you guys can remember those who follow me on a regular basis, I taught a little nugget. I call it a, a little nugget about Jesus, the resurrection and Easter. And during that segment, I taught a little nugget on what the Jewish Sabbath means. The Jews have different Sabbaths. Okay, but first, before I get into it, I'm going to go into it in more detail during this episode. Let's read Mark chapter 16, verse one and two. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. Now, the pass this passage tells us that the Sabbath had come and gone. The question is, which Sabbath was Mark talking about? Now, we must keep in mind that a day on the Hebrew calendar begins at sunset and ends at the following sunset, as it is written. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And that's in Genesis chapter one, verse five. Now, evening first and then morning establishes a 24 hour day on the Jewish calendar. Now, for example, the weekly Sabbath for the Jews begins at sunset on Friday and ends at sunset on Saturday. And Jesus also tells us that a day is 12 hours long while implying that a night would also be 12 hours long. And let's read John chapter 11, verses nine through 10. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he had, he, he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. 
Now, we also know from the passage that from this passage that the women went to the tomb where Jesus was buried at sunrise on Sunday, the first day of the week. Now, in fact, all four Gospels accounts agree on that point. John's Gospel even tells us that it was still dark. Understanding this, the question again rises, which Sabbath day was Mark referring to? Now, Sabbath, Hebrew, is also Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T, and Shabbat, S-H-A-V-O-T, means rest. It means cease or repose or intermission. Sabbath also refers to the seventh day of the week as the day of rest unto the Lord. Now, Sabbath also refers to a specific day of rest during the Lord's feast. And that is plural, F-E-A-S-T-S. Regardless of the day upon which it fell, such as in the day of atonement, beginning at sundown on the ninth day of the month until sundown the following day, which is written in Leviticus 23:32. Write that down because I'm not going to read that. Remember, I told you I'm going to be calling out scriptures for you to write down and study. So you can know that what I'm talking about is truth. Bible truth. Okay. Now, Sabbath also refers to a year of rest for the land. Leviticus 25 verse two through four. And finally, Sabbath also refers to a Sabbath of Sabbath years called Jubilee, which is written in Leviticus 25 verses eight through 10. Now, Sabbaton is another Hebrew word that is translated Sabbath in the Bible. Shabbaton is translated rest. When it refers to a Sabbath of rest, Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T, Shabbaton. Now, when Shabbaton is used in the sentence by itself, it has the same meaning as Shabbat, S-H-A-B-B-A-T. And it is used in two passages in particular, at the Feast of Trumpets, which is in Leviticus 23:24, and the first and eight days of the Feast of Tabernacles which is in Leviticus 23, 39. Now, Mark may have been speaking of the Sabbath that coincides with the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread when he wrote that the women bought spices to anoint Jesus, Jesus's body after the, the, the Sabbath had passed, which is in Mark 16, verse 1. Excuse me. <clears throat> now, Mark even makes reference to the day before Shabbaton, which is Greek, Word for uh, pro-Shabbaton, P-R-O-S-A-B-B-A-T-O-N. A few verses earlier in Mark, um, before Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Now let's look at Mark 15, 42. And now when the evening was come, because it was the preparation, this is the day before the Sabbath. Now Matthew and Luke make use of the exact same Greek word, Sabbaton when ref when referencing to the days following the Lord's crucifixion, which is in Matthew 28 and one Luke 23, 54 and verse 56. Now, possibly because of Matthew's use of the word, uh, many Bible stu uh, students have seen the unleavened bread Sabbath as coinciding with the weekly Sabbath. Now let's look at Matthew 28 and verse one. In the end of the Sabbath, 
as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, but as we have seen earlier, the Hebrew Shabbat and Shabbaton sometimes carry the same meaning. And in some rabbinical commentaries are sometimes interchangeable. Okay. Now Luke, however, presents two Sabbaths consistent with Mark's account in, uh, and let's look in Luke 23 verses 44 through 56. No, I'm sorry. Luke 23 verses 54 through 56. Woo. And it's not going to hurt you to read a verse 44 either, but, um, in order for me to establish what I'm trying to communicate to you, I want you to read these particular scriptures, Luke 23 verses 44 through, I'm sorry, I'm saying that again. What is it with this verses 44? I must, the Lord must want me to go there. But, um, Luke 23 verses 54 through 56. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now, even if that would seem a little dark, a little unclear or a little confusing, we can consider that God commanded that Israel observe his feast. And I'm talking about feast as in plural, F-E-A-S-T-S, as holy convocations. Read Leviticus 23 and 4. Now, there were three specific times in a year that every Torah. Now, if if you want to know what the word Torah is, Torah uh, in Judaism is the law of God as revealed to Moses and recorded in the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, which is also known as the Pentecute. Okay. The Pentecute, which is, I guess I'll spell it for you. P N T A T E U C H, which is pronounced Pentateuch. Okay. Now every Torah observant male Jew was to appear before the Lord. The feast of the unleavened, unleavened bread, the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles, which is written in Exodus 23 verses 14 through, through 17. And in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, God called certain days of all three of these feasts, holy convocations, Levit- Leviticus 23 verse seven through eight and verse 21 and chapter 35 verse 36. Now, God also commanded the Jews that they were not allowed to do any work as part of the Holy Convocation. The same commandment he gave in observing the weekly Sabbath, which is which is written in Leviticus 23, verse three, a holy convocation and the Sabbath were interchangeable to the Jewish mind as being days when no one was allowed to work. John calls them high holy days in his gospel account. And as I'm looking over my notes. Um, I made an error because I don't want you to go to the wrong scriptures when you read about this. When I say Leviticus 23, verse 7 through 8, and then verses um, 21, I said chapter 35, but no, it's verse 35 and verse 36. Okay. Thank God for notes. That's why I write a lot of them because I move so fast. I'll start talking about the moon. I'm telling you. 
Now let's go to uh, John chapter 19, verse 31. The, uh, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was an high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So let's work backwards. Okay. Cause I'm trying to prove to you that Jesus didn't die on no Friday. He died on a Wednesday. It is virtually impossible for him to die on a Friday. Okay. And then rise again on a, on a uh, Sunday. Now we know that Jesus died at, at some time after 3 PM in the afternoon, Matthew 27, verse six, Mark 15, 34 and Luke 23, 44. Now, if Jesus died on Friday, then from before sundown Friday to Sunday morning, there would not be any markets open for the women to buy the spices. Even if, and that's a big if, the women already had the spices, as some might suggest, uh, attempting to reconcile, which is in Mark chapter 15, verse 42, um, and 16, chapter 16 in verse 2. And Luke chapter 23, 54 through 56 with a Friday crucifixion, Luke specifically tells us that the women prepared spices and ointments in Luke 23, 56. Now, if they observed God's commandments, they wouldn't have prepared anything because the law commands that they could not work anywhere at all on the Sabbath. Leviticus 23 and 3. So there is no way that Jesus could have been crucified on Friday. And I'm not stopping there because see, I'm one that wants to prove my point through scripture. Okay. Now, if Jesus was crucified on Thursday afternoon, that sundown would have been the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread and considered a holy convocation, which is a Sabbaton, S-A-B-B-A-T-O-N. Therefore, no markets would be open in order to buy the spices and since it was a Shabbaton, they couldn't even prepare the spices that day. The same circumstances for Friday would have existed, thus back-to-back -back Sabbaths. So there is no way that Jesus could have been crucified on Thursday either. Now, that leaves us with Wednesday. Now, Wednesday would have allowed the women to observe a uh, uh, of a holy convocation for the Feast of Unleavened Bread on Thursday, the opportunity to purchase and prepare the spices and ointments on Friday, to observe the weekly Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and to make a pre-dawn visit to the garden tomb early Sunday morning. The Lord Jesus himself taught this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Think not that I am come to destroy the law, or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill for every, I'm sorry, for verily I say unto you, and the word verily sim simply means of a truth. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, it seems un unlikely that God would give his commandments in the law of Moses, Genesis to, to Deuteronomy, and then allow events to unfold that result in the law being violated by Jesus's disciples before all prophecies about the Messiah could be fulfilled. Now, remember, 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke tells us that the Lord's disciples kept the Sabbath commandment, or at least the women did, as recorded in Luke 2356. And it says, It says this in Luke 23, 56. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now let's look again at what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 39 and 40. An evil and adulterous generation seek it after a sign and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the son of man be. And he is referring to himself. So, um, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, <laughs> Jesus presented that the time frame for this sign would be three days and three nights. Even if only, <coughs> excuse me, you guys, even if only the first day and the last night were partial, you still have a problem with the two days and nights in between. Now, furthermore, this was the only sign that Jesus said that he would give this unbelieving Pharisees. Okay. With as many signs and wonders that he had performed during his early ministry, does it seem likely or even reasonable that Jesus would give them an ambiguous reference. I don't think so. Now the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important and most prominent sign to the world that God gave his only begotten son as the atoning sacrifice for a sinful world. Jesus predicted it before his death so that there would be no mistake that he was he, who he said he was. God in human flesh. Okay. Even after his crucifixion, the unbelieving rulers of Israel asked Pilate for a placement of gods at the tomb because they remember what he said about the sign of Jonah. Let's look at Matthew 27 verse 62 through 66. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priest and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, sir, we remember that, that, that deceiver said they had referred to Jesus as a deceiver. Woo, wicked and adulterous generation. Jesus rightly called them that while he was yet alive after three days, I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure, which means secured until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he, he is risen from the dead. Now, why would his, his disciples lie like that? Unbelievable. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, ye have a, you have a watch, go your way, make it as sure, meaning as secure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure or secure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And that's in Matthew 27 verses 62 through 66. And uh, just to sidestep for one second, I have decided to put all my notes um, in my iPad so that I won't drop my Bible in notes again. Y'all remember last, one of those times I dropped my Bible and had to find my scripture again. So um, 
I can drop my iPad and I won't lose a thing. Okay. Now, if, if we were to start arguing and, and compromising on Jesus's own words about the only sign he gave the world, then we might compromise in other areas. You know, soon we might begin to think that that God didn't really create the heavens and the earth in six literal days. Then we may start uh, making concessions for other scriptures, su suggesting that God didn't really mean for me to forgive that person or or that little thing couldn't possibly be a sin or or God couldn't actually want me to do that or, or do this. And because the sign of Jonah was a prophecy concerning Jesus first coming. Faltering here will cause us to flounder with regard to his future coming. Now, if I treat his past promises with indifference, why would anyone believe that I am passionate about his promises to come? So we have to take God at his word and stop listening to the devil called uh, speaking, allowing people to speak to you and cause you to doubt the word of God. Stick with this word and stop changing. Stick with the word. Now, yes. A look at the sign of Jonah is more than, than splitting hairs with the theological topic. It's realizing that God is resolute about the details of his holy word and therefore as interested in the details of the lives of all those who, who are made alive because of trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. So let us therefore kiss the son lest he be angry. Psalms 2 and 12. Now I am getting ready to shock you guys for what I'm about to say now. That is the end of episode one because I had a full day today. I was supposed to share episode uh, three yesterday and I had a, I was extremely exhausted so I could not do it and forgive me for those who were waiting on it because I did post it on my ministry page page, which is back to basic sharing the gospel ministries. I failed to do that to let you guys know it was coming today. So I wasn't going to let today pass without sharing this episode and episode four will be airing next Saturday. Okay. Next Saturday is, is what the sixth. I think it's the sixth, uh, March 6th in any event, I love you guys. I thank you for tuning in. You can stand by for an invitation to accept Christ and my closing remarks. To everyone who hears this message, including those who profess to having accepted Christ, but don't possess his spirit. And to the non-believers who are chasing religion, looking for God. Tomorrow is not promised to you. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. There is no other way to get to God outside of Christ. There is no back door. I want you to read John chapter 14 verses 1 through 6. All you have to do to secure your salvation in Christ is to say this simple prayer one time and mean it. Father God. I am a sinner in need of salvation. I confess that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. And because I confessed and believe this in my heart, God, your word says I'm saved. Amen.
If you said this simple prayer, my friends, you have just been saved by grace. Yes, it's just that simple. If you were sincere, you should feel a change in your heart right now. You now have free access to God. You are a saint, a believer, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. I encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth so you can grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Renew your mind with the Word of God so you can establish a relationship with Him. God wants you to enjoy life, laugh, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion dignity, and respect. Now stand by for my closing remarks. I pray that you were blessed by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this message, please send your comments or questions to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com. And if you would like to support this podcast financially because you feel we have been a blessing to you, go to one of my five podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, or Radio Public, and contribute an amount of your choice. Now, until next time, remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.